This is New Life Christian Fellowship's weekly message podcast. You can find us online at newlifepetaluma.org. And now, this week's message. Is the Bible true? Can I trust it? Can I trust it with my whole life? Can I put everything into the words that it says? That's the question we're asking today. And as I watched the video, it betrayed the reality that we all have a lot of ideas about the Bible, whether it's true or not. But do we really have the evidence behind it? And I'm not just slamming the people on the video. On both sides, Christians would say the Bible, of course it's true. It's the Word of God. You know, there, there are, are no mistakes in it. God breathed it. And you say, well, how do you know that? And they would say, well, I just believe. I, I just have faith. And you say, well, what's your faith based on? And they look at you like you're crazy. What do you mean what's it based on? Based on God, of course. And then on the other side of the question... We have people who say, no, the Bible is absolutely not the Word of God. It is not reliable. I can't put my faith in it. I would never put my trust in it. And you say, well, why do you say that? How do you know it's not reliable? They say, well, what do you mean, how do I know? I'm an enlightened person. I just know. An ancient book can't be reliable. And you say, well, give me some of the evidence behind it. And, and they have nothing. We have so many, probably more than any other book. This debate goes on. Is it true? Is it not? Is it reliable? Is it worth putting my hope in? My trusting? Can I believe that these words actually bring life like they say they do? And yet we don't know the evidence behind it. And that's the goal of this morning, is to give you some evidence behind, is the Bible reliable? So you have an answer to that question. And maybe you're here this morning and you don't know. You're just checking out God. You're checking out faith. And, and really, you're here because you're seeking the answer to that question. And I want to tell you, we're going to lay out some, some facts, some, some statistics, some history to help you uh, wrestle with that a little more. Maybe you're here this morning and you're a follower of Jesus, but you never really had to wrestle with that question. You were just raised to believe in the Bible, and that's what you've always done. But if someone was to ask you, well, how do you know? You'd have no answer for them. And my goal for you this morning is that God would give you some answers, that God would begin to speak to you, that God would show you some of the evidence for two reasons. One, because we're coming up on Easter, and Easter is this amazing time where we believe that life was changed forever, that Jesus' death and resurrection brought about a new point in human history where God drew the world back to himself. And I want, as we go through these uh, critical questions, I want your faith to be strengthened so you can come into Easter week and you can celebrate with a certainty that when the Bible says Jesus died and rose again for the forgiveness of your sins to draw you back to God, that that is true. And I want this Easter to be one of the most powerful Easter's you have ever experienced. When you come next Sunday for Palm Sunday, I want you to be able to look at the words uh, of Jesus as he rode into Jerusalem and say, I know that he rode in Jerusalem on the last week of his life. I know they spread out palm branches. I know that they shouted Hosanna and they praised God. And I know that it actually took place. And I want you to be able to worship God with a new depth of, depth of intimacy because of a new understanding. So that's my first goal for this morning. My second goal for this morning also has to do with the fact that Easter's coming. I want your understanding of who God is to actually draw you out into the community to draw people into God. I don't want this just to be head knowledge. I want your heart to connect. I want your head to connect so that it connects with your feet and gets you out to talk to your roommates, to talk to your neighbors, to talk to your husband or your wife or your kids or your coworkers and say, you have to come experience God with me. I have this newfound depth of understanding that God is real and true and I want you to come. And when your friend says, well, why would I come? I want you to have an answer. I remember sitting in a cafe not that long ago with a, a group of men and women, and I was talking with them about the importance of sharing their faith, of inviting people to come and experience Jesus, and they were terrified. 
So why would I do that? That does not sound fun at all. I'd rather have you pull my teeth than go out and tell people they need to come and, and know Jesus. Right? We can talk about God all we want, but if you say you've got to come and know Jesus, it's like, oh, that's, that's bad news. That's a taboo. I said, no, you, this is so life-changing. I want you to have this experience where your friends would come and come to meet God. Their lives would be transformed, and I guarantee it will strengthen your understanding and your faith and your love for God. And while we're having this conversation at the table next to us, there's a girl, and she'd just seen a movie. I don't even know what movie it was, but she had just seen a movie, and she was raving to her friends about this movie. You've got to see this movie. It's so amazing. Oh my gosh, there were ups and downs, highs and lows. I was crying. I was laughing. It was absolutely incredible. You've got to come with me to see this movie. And my heart sank when I contrasted the two. This young woman went and saw a movie that impacted two hours of her life, and she could not wait to tell her friends about it and invite them to come see the movie. And yet, this group of friends were sitting here with the truth of eternity sitting with them and were terrified to invite people to come. And so I want you to have the evidence of the reliability of God, of the Bible, and of Jesus so that it takes you out into your community to invite your friends to come. I want it to translate from your head to your heart to your feet, and I want us to be a people who goes out and says, you have to come experience this God. He has transformed my life on every level, not just my emotions, not just my actions, but my head, my heart, my feet. He is changing me. You need to come. So I want us to have this dialogue this morning to strengthen you and to get you out into the community, and I make no qualms about it because God is too good to keep inside this room. Amen? Amen. Let's pray and let's jump in. Lord, would you speak to us today about your word? We'll start off in your word. We're going to get outside of it. We're going to look at a bunch of different reasons why we would know that you were true. But would you speak to us about the reliability of Scripture? Would you guide us this morning? Would you speak to our heads? Would you speak to our hearts? Would you uh, give us feet to go out? Would you transform and change and renew our minds? with the truth of your reality, of your love, of your compassion. We're so excited to be with you today, Lord, to worship you and to know you a little more. Amen. Friends, this book is awesome. This book is awesome. Did you know that this was the first book ever published? In 1450, the Gutenberg Press published the first Bible. It's translated into 2,500 languages. It's available to approximately 95% of the people around the world, this book is widely distributed. This book is awesome. This book is dangerous. It's been attacked. It's been burned. It's been banned. People have tried to annihilate it. Voltaire said a few centuries ago, you know what? In a hundred years, no one will ever speak of the Bible again. This is why I love God's sense of humor. Fifty years after that, Voltaire's home printing press was actually bought to print Bibles on, which I just think is fantastic. (laughs) This book is powerful. Millions of people claim that by reading this book, God has grabbed a hold of their lives. This book by itself does not transform, but this book leads us to the one who transforms. People say that this book has changed their actions, their habits. It's led them to a God who can break addictions, who can restore relationships, who calls them to deep love and intimacy with others as well as with him. This book is powerful. Look in Second Timothy at what uh, the Bible claims about itself. There's nothing like the written word of God for showing us the way to salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Every part of Scripture is God-breathed and useful one way or another, 
showing us truth, exposing our rebellion, correcting our mistakes, training us to live God's way. Through the word, we're put together and shaped up for the tasks that God has for us. The author of Hebrews says it this way. He says, God's word is full of life and is sharp as a surgeon's scalpel, cutting through everything, whether doubt or defense, laying us open to listen and obey. Think about that. The Bible cuts through all of our defenses and it lays us open to the things of God, to listen and obey. Nothing and no one is impervious to God's word. We can't get away from it no matter what. Now, well-meaning folks will tell you that they believe in the Bible, and, and, and I love that. They'll say, well, why do you believe in the Bible? They say, I believe in the Bible because it's the Word of God. So how do you know it's the Word of God? Because I believe in God. And so we get in this circular argument. I believe in the Bible because God says to believe in the Bible, and I believe in God because the Bible says I should believe in God. And if your faith is, rests on that and you are confident in that, man, praise God, I would never want to take that away from you. If you believe in the Bible because God says to believe in the Bible, and if you believe in God because the Bible says to believe in God, praise God for your faith. But I want to ask you the question, is that going to be good enough for your coworker who doesn't believe in God, who wasn't raised in the church, whose parents didn't say you have to believe in the Bible because God says to believe in the Bible? Is that going to be good enough for them? Let's take it home a little bit. Is that going to be good enough for your kids when they hit their teens and they start to question everything? Parents, when your kids come to you and say, why should I believe in God? If your only answer for them is because the Bible says to, and if they say, why should I believe in the Bible, and you don't have any reason for them, they're in trouble. One of the greatest tragedies that I saw working at the university for six years before I came to New Life was college students who would come to school with their parents' faith. Their parents said, there is a God, and so they believed in God because their parents told them to, but didn't give them any foundation. And then about six months in, a teacher a roommate, a boyfriend or girlfriend would challenge their beliefs. Why do you believe in God? Look at the world around you. You're learning all these things. How could you believe in God? And they had no foundation. They had no reason for it, and they walked away from God. College is a, is a, is a transitional time where we really form our beliefs, and these students in that time had no upbringing to help them really connect with God, and they walked away from God, and it broke my heart every time. Parents, you may not be asking this question for yourself right now. You need to ask this question so that when your kids ask you, you have an answer for them. Every one of us has to ask this question, whether it's for ourselves or a coworker or a spouse or our kids or our friends. We need to have an answer to the question, is the Bible reliable? But this morning, I'm not going to use the Bible to tell you the Bible is reliable. I've already told you my feelings about that kind of logic. I don't think it's bad or wrong, but I want to actually give some other questions to ask. The question I want to ask this morning, if God wrote the Bible, what are some things we would expect from it? That's the question I want to ask this morning. If God wrote the Bible, what are some things that we would expect from the Bible? And obviously the first one is we would expect it to be uniquely authored. And guess what? The Bible is. 40 different authors wrote the Bible. And I'm going to fire through some stuff, so get your thinking caps on. 40 authors wrote the Bible over 15 centuries of time, starting in 1400 B.C. and ending in 100 A.D., starting with Moses, ending with John. It was widespread authorship over three continents, Africa, Asia, and Europe. We expect it to be uniquely authored, and it is. It addresses life's most critical and controversial questions. What's the origin of life? What's the purpose of life? Is there a moral code? And if there is, what is it? Is there life after death? 
the Bible addresses the most critical and controversial issues. And in those major issues, it is flawless in what it says. Now, if you've lived with someone for even two minutes, you know that you can't talk about life's most critical issues and be completely unanimous on those major issues. You just can't. That's where dialogue takes place. But these authors, 40 authors, 15 centuries, three continents, flawless when it came to the major issues of life. The Bible is uniquely authored, and we would expect it to be if it really is the Word of God. If God wrote the Bible or divinely inspired the writers to write the Bible, we would expect it to be unchanging. And it is. One of the girls in that video said, well, it's been edited and changed. And that actually, it hasn't been. Translations, yes. Major revisions, no. If God wrote the Bible, we'd expect it to be concise. This one hits me as a pastor and an external processor probably more than anything. I cannot plan a sermon on one topic and try to keep it in 30 minutes. It is very difficult for me. Anyone who's talked to me knows that. And yet God, in this book, wrote down every major issue addressing every single person all around the earth for all time. Think about that. Every person, in every generation, in every culture, this book addresses it all, and it addresses it in a way that you can actually read this in a pretty quick amount of time. You can't even write a state law and get through it this quick. I mean, this is crazy. This is crazy. We would expect the Bible to be widely respected if it came from God. Mao Zedong, who was the founder of the People's Republic of China, uh, has a book, Quotations of Mao, that has uh, distributed one billion copies. It's a huge book. But the Bible has had six billion copies printed and distributed, give or take. And again, in God's sense of humor, uh, the Chinese government ordered one billion copies of the Bible to actually be given to all of their people and read. So this is God's sense of humor. Uh, The quotations of Mao, 65 languages, the the Bible, 2,500 languages, somewhere in there all around the world. We expect it to be highly respected. If God wrote the Bible, we'd expect it to be accurately preserved. When Jesus said the words, man cannot live on bread alone, he was tempted in the wilderness, but from every word that flows from the mouth of God, do you realize that those words that he spoke you read today When he was tempted, he spoke these words. And when you're tempted, you can speak the same words, the words that God himself spoke as you pray to God. We expect it to be preserved accurately, and it is better than 99.8% accuracy in the preservation of the Bible. It's amazing. I hope I'm hitting your head, but I hope we sneak into your heart in just a few minutes. We need to know this information. This is the thing that actually renews our mind. When Paul talks about uh, the renewing of our minds, the transforming of our mind, he's talking about knowing the truth of God, letting that truth sink into your heart. So I hope that you don't miss this. If the Bible is the Word of God, we expect it to be historically accurate. And the truth is, archaeologists haven't unearthed anything or discovered anything of any verifiable historical record that directly contradicts the Bible. We would expect it to be geographically accurate as well. Both location and elevation 
of major events in the Bible are historically accurate. And you might be asking, well, who really cares? Kevin, you're a history major. That's great. Good for you. I don't care where a battle took place. I can barely read through the Old Testament without falling asleep. I don't care what the elevation of the battle was or this city or that city. Here's why you should care about things like that. If God took the time to make sure the elevation of a city is accurate in the Bible or a battle scene is accurate in the Bible, don't you think God would take the time to make sure when he tells you this is what it means to have a healthy marriage, that that is accurate? This is what it means to not let your finances and your money uh, be your master, but to lead and to rule over your finances and to use them? Don't you think God would be accurate in that? When God says this is how you should serve and love, don't you think God is accurate in that? If he's accurate about little things like the elevation of a city— Don't you think he's going to be accurate when he tells you life's major directional choices? And the question becomes, what do you do with that information? Because if it's accurate in one respect, it's got to be accurate in these major issues. And we need to actually listen to God on the major issues. If the Bible really is the word of God, we expect it to be prophetically accurate. Now, there are somewhere between 60 and some would say even 100 prophecies. Some folks would say even more, depending on how you read the Old Testament. But we'll say 60 to 100 different prophecies made about Jesus in the Old Testament that were all fulfilled in his birth, life, death, and resurrection. Again, some say 60, some say 100, some say even more than that. But the truth is they were all prophetically accurate. No other book, no other book has that kind of accuracy about things that you wouldn't know unless God spoke it into being, unless God spoke it into existence, unless God ordained it. If God really wrote the Bible, we would expect it to endure forever. People have tried to wipe this book out. They've burned it. They've torn pages out of it. They've banned it. They've made it illegal to read. People have tried to wipe this book out, but this book endures. Why? Because it's not just a book. It's the words of God. I'm holding in my hand the words of God. When you sit down with your coffee tomorrow morning and you flip open the scripture, you are not just reading a book. You are reading the very heartbeat of your creator. God wants to speak to you, and that's why the book lasted. Not because the pages are super strong, but because the one who wrote these words is the creator of the universe, and he will not let his word die out. And if God wrote the Bible, we would expect it to work in life. You could say, you know what, all those things are great, but if God said things about life that just didn't make sense and just didn't work, we could write off the rest of that stuff. But we would expect the Bible to actually work for our lives. We would expect that when we read the Bible and we pray to God and we ask God for guidance, that God would speak through his word And he would direct us towards the paths that he has for us. And it does. This year, millions of people's lives will be transformed by the reading of this book as they engage with God. More than any other book that's printed, written, published, combined. This book changes lives. And our real question this morning is not, cannot be, can I trust the Bible? Of course you can trust the Bible. Look at your paper right now. Just take a second to look at it. I gave you 10 things, and you feel like, oh my gosh, I just got overloaded. 10 reasons why you can believe in the Bible. I could give you two of those, 
And you should believe. You could trust. You could say, I have a reason for this. Ten, that's out of control. That's crazy. That's straight God right there. The question is not, can I believe? The question is, will I believe? And what does that belief look like? Well, that belief takes the form of action. The question is, will I put my my hope, my, my, my faith, will I let this book guide my life? Will I build my life on every principle that I find in this book? Not just some. I got myself in a lot of trouble when I was about 22. I was preaching about the Word of God to a bunch of college students, and I was young, and, and, and uh, well, I was just young. We'll leave it there. And I said, if you don't believe that everything God says is true, if you don't act on it, if you don't do it, it's like tearing a page out of the Bible. I tore out the table of contents, but they didn't know it was a table of contents. Oh my gosh, I almost got charged. They literally almost charged the stage. Why? Because we have a response to tearing pages out of the Bible because it's the Word of God. Can I tell you, if we actually read this stuff but don't act on it, it's like tearing pages out of our Bible? It's like saying, uh, you know what? I believe God loved me, but he hasn't really loved them, so I'm just going to go ahead and cross that out with a red marker. No thanks. No thanks. And if we don't believe some of it, if we don't believe the things that God says to us, isn't it like we're just kind of picking and choosing, tearing it out? The question becomes, will you put your hope, will you let this book guide your life? Most important of all, and friends, if you hear nothing else this morning, most important of all, will you put your trust in the one that the Bible points to? Will you put your trust in God? The Bible's not just an instruction manual. The Bible's not just a recipe book. The Bible is at its core a love story about a creator God who made you, who knows you, who loves you, who has plans and hopes and dreams for you. It's a story about a people, both big picture and you specifically, who have walked away from God. The Bible says that we became enemies of God because we chose death, destruction, pain. The Bible calls it sin. And this one who created us, who knows us, who loves us, was longing for us. The Bible is a love story of a lover who's coming to find the object of his affection, who's walked away. Jesus says, behold, I stand at the door and I knock. If you open the door, I'll come in and I will live with you. I will dwell with you. Will you put your faith and your hope in the one that the Bible points to? If you're here this morning and you've never come into a personal, intimate relationship with God, not your parents' faith, not your spouse's faith, not your kid's faith, a personal, intimate faith with God. I'm going to give you a chance to do that this morning. I'm going to pray, and then the worship team's going to come up, but partway through that prayer, if you sense God stirring you and calling you, I'm just going to have you repeat a prayer after me that invites Jesus to lead you on this journey of life, that invites him to be your Lord. The Bible says he is the one that loves you so deeply, and all he wants is to come and to dwell with you, and to live with you, and to guide you on this journey. But you have to turn to him and come. And so I'm going to pray that God actually stirs in you right now, that God draws you in. And I'm going to pray for us as a community that we would actually have reasons for why we believe the things we believe, that we would be able to communicate clearly to our friends the reliability of the Bible. Would you join me as we pray this morning? Lord, a lot of information was just downloaded I pray that you would take one or two of those pieces and that you would place them in the minds and the hearts of every single person in this room this morning. I pray that the things that we learned would not just stick in our head, but would actually translate into action. That we would come this Easter 
and that we would worship you and know you more intimately than we ever have because we have answers to the questions of why. We have evidence to prove that you are true and real and that you are here. And would that cause us to come into passionate worship? And Lord, would, would you stir in us to invite our friends to come and know you? This book that you've written is better than the best movie. It's better than the best story because in this book are the words of life. Lord, we want our friends to know you, to experience your love and to engage with you. Would you use us to draw people to yourself this Easter? And if you're here this morning and you've never come into a relationship with God, a real, personal, passionate, intimate relationship, man, God couldn't love you more than he does right now. As we continue to pray, if you sense God stirring you, if you sense God calling you, if this is just starting to make sense and it's starting to click and you want to come into a relationship with God, you can repeat the simple prayer after me. You can say, Lord Jesus, I believe that the Bible is true. I know that I was far from you. And I know that you're calling me back. Jesus, I know that your death and your resurrection made a way for me to come into relationship with you. Would you come and would you guide me on this journey of life? We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. You can find more information about New Life, including contact information, at newlifepetaluma.org. Thanks for listening.